Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 7. It's good to get back into John after a few Sundays out, both uh, preaching Advent-type sermons and then also uh, being out last Sunday. I've missed John, and I hope you have too. We come to the end of John's gospel, uh, chapter 7 today, the end of chapter 7, not the end of John's gospel, but the end of, of chapter 7. Uh, we looked at some of this a week or, or two weeks ago, three weeks ago actually, but now we come to, to kind of close out this chapter before we move on. And he's it's, it's still at the, the Feast of the Tabernacles. They're still celebrating the fact that God has persevered the children of Israel through the, through the wilderness, provided bread for them, manna for them in the wilderness, provided water from them, and Jesus thus speaks of being living water, and we'll come back to that later because Jesus will come to back to that again a little later on, and we'll... We'll talk more about that. But today, there's John's commentary on what has taken place. Uh, Verses 40 through 52, John is basically saying, now this is what's happening because of his discourse, his message, if you will, that he gave there at the Feast of Tabernacles when he said, I am the living water. And people listened to him. But now, there were others around. There were those who were listening intentively, those those who were listening caring about what he had to say. There are others who were listening with the idea of we've got to get rid of this guy. He's causing us too much trouble. And so all in all, John is saying, now, I want you to see what's going on here. The title of the sermon today that I I named this was Jesus, Divider or Uniter. Uh, You know, we tend to think in our day, or you hear a lot about in our day, that, you know, Jesus, all peace and love and joy and and, and if there's any kind of division or any kind of, of discussion or disputing, then it can't be of Christ. It can't be of the Lord. Anybody who says that's never read the New Testament. They've never read the Gospel of John. They've never read the passage out of Matthew chapter 10 that uh, Brother Todd read just a few minutes ago. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to be a divider. I came to divide truth from error. I came to divide those who are with me and those who are against me. I mean, there's, there's no real place in Scripture where you see that there's just this all, let's, let's just all live together in peace and harmony and be nice to one another and everything will be all right. Matter of fact, Jesus makes it very clear that, that you're either with me or you're against me. You're either for me or you're against me. You either stand for the truth or you fall for error, one or the other. You're, you're going to make that choice. You're going to make that kind of decision in this life. Jesus, in this passage, shows himself to be both a uniter and a divider depending on who the people were. Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 7, starting verse 40. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, they heard him talking about being living water and everything, they heard these words, that they were saying, this certainly is the prophet. If you remember back in Deuteronomy, Moses said, there would come another prophet like me, yet greater than I. And and what they're saying here, this has got to be the prophet that Moses was talking about. He's a prophet like Moses, but greater than Moses. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage. This, this prophet is going to lead us, hopefully, out of the bondage to the, to, to the, to the Roman government and, and lead us out in the same way Moses did. That's what they thought. This certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, no, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the one that Scripture has prophesied for all of, of recorded history. This, this is the Messiah. This is the one who is to come and be the redeemer of his people. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? 
goes back to what they said earlier. We know his mother. We know his father. It's Joseph and Mary's uh, boy, and, and he was raised in Nazareth, raised in Galilee. Uh, the Scripture doesn't say anything about Messiah coming out of Galilee. As a matter of fact, has the Scripture not said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Do you find this a little bit amusing here that, that neither John nor Jesus at this point says, whoa, whoa. I am from Bethlehem. I was born in Bethlehem. I am of the seed of David. Isn't it just a little interesting that neither John nor Jesus refute that scripturally at this point? I personally think that's just a little bit of of John's irony, the way he writes sometimes. He finds great pleasure in having the Jews make a statement in disputing Jesus and while trying to dispute dispute Jesus actually confirms who he is. You see that? Did you say, this can't be the Messiah, he's not from Bethlehem, he's not from the line of David, he came out of Nazareth. And and John almost with perfect irony thinks, oh, just keep talking, just keep saying that. And one day you're going to learn the truth and the truth is going to dawn upon you and you're going to be very much in a perplexing situation because you have been declaring the truth and didn't even know it all along. I love the way John does that from time to time. Verse 43, so a division occurred in the crowd because of him. For one reason, and one reason only, because of Jesus, a division occurred among the crowd. Some of them wanted to seize him, that is, arrest him, throw him in jail, do something to get rid of him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers Excuse me, the officers then came to the chief priest. Now, the chief priest and the Pharisees had obviously sent some of the, the temple guards, some of the officers of the temple, out into the crowd to observe this. And, and basically, with the instructions, take him, seize him, arrest him, and bring him back here. And, and the officers, they came back to the chief priest and back to the Pharisees, and, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? We, we sent you out with a mission. We sent you out with one thing and one thing only to do. And you come back here alone? You come back here without him? That's what they say. The officers answered, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. We've heard our scribes. We've heard the Pharisees. We've heard those in the temple teaching and speaking. There's never been anybody like him. Matthew records in Matthew 7, you know, the the people saying he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. And they come back, why didn't you arrest him? Well, if you had heard him, we were enthralled by what he had to say. Now, the Scripture doesn't tell us a lot about Jesus' methods. We don't know if he was a a Jonathan Edwards type preacher that just sort of read his manuscript and, and very, very rarely raised his voice or even looked up from his manuscript. Or we don't know if he's like a John Whitfield who, who blasted the crowds of thousands from a tree stump. Or, or like a Charles Spurgeon who stood in, in the, the tabernacle and spoke to thousands of people very boldly and very forcefully. We don't, we don't know what his style was, but whatever his style was, these officers, these policemen of the temple, guards of the temple, they were absolutely enthralled by it. And, and so they said, there's never been a man who speaks like this man speaks. Then the Pharisees answered them and said, you have not also been led astray, have you? 
No one of the rulers or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? There's this implication here, and you find this in a lot of Jewish writing of Jesus' day, that the Pharisees and the scribes kind of looked down on the normal people. You know, like they were just common folk. They hadn't studied the, they hadn't studied the Torah. They hadn't studied the, the, the uh, uh, Septuagint like they had. They, had. they hadn't studied the Old Testament scriptures, and, 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 and they were just, just kind of common folk. Didn't have a real understanding. And they looked down on them with derision many times. And, and so they say this to the temple guard because they know the temple guard have not been that way. They've been in the temple. They've been watching the, the, guarding the place. They've been, they've been the policemen of the temple. And they've heard the scribes. They've heard the Pharisees. They've been taught more than just those common rabble out there in the streets. And they said, you're not believing this, are you? Have you heard of one Pharisee or one scribe or, or one person who's a leader of the people religiously who have believed in him? There is not one. How can you fall for this? Now realize the temple guard that went out were not like the Roman soldiers. Had the Roman soldiers been told at that time to go out and arrest Jesus, they would have arrested Jesus. They wouldn't have cared what the crowd said. They wouldn't have cared what, it, how, what he was saying or how he said it. It wouldn't have mattered. They were not really warriors like the, the Roman guards were. These temple guards were like stewards of the place. They kind of just took care of the temple. They, they made sure everything was in order, and they didn't let any kind of, any kind of disturbance take place. But they weren't, really, they weren't really warriors like the Romans were. So they heard Jesus, and they came back and said, Listen, you got to understand, nobody, and I'm sure the Pharisees and the temple leaders probably took a little offense at that <laughs> because basically what he's saying, they're saying is not even you have spoke like this man has with all your authority with all of your power with all of your training you've not spoken like him you haven't been led astray have you not one of the rulers or pharisees has believed in him has he but this crowd does not know the law is accursed this crowd which does not know the law is a curse. They're saying, listen, they're, they're just nothing. They might be led astray. They might believe. But they're not educated like we are or like you are. Fifth, verse 50, Nicodemus, in parentheses, John says, you know, he who came to him before, being one of them, said to them, our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he, ha what he is doing, does it? They answered him, You are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. Interesting statement. John says, Nicodemus, the one who he reminds us of chapter 3, the one who came to him at night, the one who came to him said, well, what do I need to have eternal life? What must I do? And goes through the all, you must be born again, and the, the, the confusion with that that Nicodemus has, and Nicodemus goes away evidently uh, less than fulfilled and less than understanding what Jesus is talking about. And, and John, I think, to make it clear where Nicodemus still is, he says, Nicodemus who came to him at night, who was one of them. You know, you, you say sometimes a, a statement of of disrespect, you'll say, well, you know, he's just one of them. You've said that about people. You've heard it said about people. Yeah, he's just one of them. That's what John's saying here. Because at this point, while obviously perhaps God is beginning to work in Nicodemus's life, and he's beginning to see some things, Nicodemus is not a believer yet. 
Matter of fact, Nicodemus, read this carefully. Nicodemus doesn't stand up and defend Jesus. He doesn't even say as much as the, as the guards did. You know, he speaks with power. He speaks with authority. He speaks like no one I've ever heard. He doesn't even say that. He just, he just appeals to the, to the Sanhedrin on the same basis that, that he, uh, of his agreement with them. Listen, our law says we don't judge anybody unless we hear them first. We haven't heard from this man. He hasn't prevented, presented his defense yet. So... Nicodemus is appealing as a member of the Sanhedrin. He's appealing as a Pharisee saying, listen, let's be sure we go by the law. Let's be sure we don't get ourselves all twisted up here. Not defending him, but I'm just saying, let's follow the law. The Sanhedrin loved to follow the law. The Pharisees were the grand law followers. I mean, they, they loved the law so much, they gave the law a whole lot more meaning and a whole lot more uh, emphasis and a whole lot more extensions than the Scripture ever did because they loved the law. There's several things I want you to see in this passage that are very important for us to grasp for us today. First of all, I want you to see here that, that these verses show us that you can have a lot of knowledge about religion, but if it's not accompanied by grace in the heart, it is really of no value. Knowledge is not what saves. Understanding is not what saves. The law is not what saves. Paul said in Romans, you know, God by His grace did what the law could not do, being weak as it was by the flesh. Uh, John is wanting us to see here that, that these men, these Pharisees, these chief priests, these who are in the Sanhedrin, they are religious men and they have a lot of knowledge about religion, but in reality their knowledge is useless when it comes to salvation. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I, my favorite Broadway musical has been for years, Les Miserables. And, and I saw the movie this week. It's not as good as the Broadway musical, but it was good. Uh, but, but it struck me again, and I, I read a friend's review of it that struck me again of the difference in Jean Valjean and Javert. How, how many of you have seen that? Have you, have you seen it? Many? Some of you have. Okay. You know, Jean Valjean is a criminal. He stole a loaf of bread and spent 20 years in, in prison for that, that stealing that to feed his sister's child. And, and, and he finally gets out, and, and he realizes the only hope he has is to steal again. So he steals from the bishop. And, and, and the bishop, in a very graceful, very loving way, kind of says, I've claimed your soul for God. Gave him all this silver, said, now take the silver and use it for, to make something good out of your life and for the glory of God. I've claimed your soul for God. And, and in that scene, there's a, there's a transformation. Jean Valjean ceases to be Jean Valjean. And he says, I will no longer be that man. Tears up his papers and goes off to start a new life. In essence, he's born again because of grace that's shown to them, even through the bishop. Now, Javert is a man of the law. Javert is a policeman's policeman. I mean, there is no grace. There is no mercy. There is no, there is no gray areas. It's all black and white. And as far as he's concerned, he's going, to hunt Jean, he's going to hunt Jean Valjean till the end of his days. He knows the law, and he's going to stand by it. And even when Jean Valjean says, I'm no longer the man I once was, Javert says, men can't change. You are what you are. Once a thief, always a thief. Once a criminal, always a criminal. And, and that's kind of the law here. That's kind of the view of the Pharisees here. Things do not change. They stay exactly the same. I won't spoil the rest of it in case you want to see it, but, 
But, but the point is, the Pharisees said, listen, this man doesn't obey the law. Don't you remember he healed a man on the Sabbath, told him to take up his pallet and walk? Don't you know he's done things on the Sabbath that are in violation of our law? We will not stand for it. He cannot be the Messiah because he's not doing things like we believe he ought to. They had a great knowledge of religion. A great knowledge of religion, but no grace in their heart. They had not experienced the grace of God. It was not accompanied by grace. And so they missed the whole thing. And, and Jesus was separating them apart because they refused to see the truth. Second thing I want you to see is, is, is even though we're not told a lot about what his style was or what his methods were, there is a, there's a clear expression here of Jesus, how imminent, how impressive, how, how powerful was our Lord's gifts as a public teacher. There in the temple, at the, at the Feast of the Tabernacles, and at other places we see this too. He was a, he captivated people because he spoke the truth of God. He spoke the truth of grace. We'll see that in next week a good bit when we come to the woman caught in adultery. And boy, that'll be a fun one to talk about because all sorts of things go around that story and we'll, we'll deal with that. But, but, but I want you to see, Jesus was a man who knew the grace of God because he was the grace of God and he expressed the grace of God. And, and he talked about being living waters. And if you come to me and, and drink of me, you'll never thirst again. If you come to me, I'll meet your, your deepest most passionate needs for life. If you come to me, I'll, I'll take care of you and I'll meet everything you have. And, 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 and people struggle at that. Pharisees want him to say, listen, if you come to me, you'll, you'll, you'll obey the law. You'll, you'll set up a, a standard. You'll set up, a, you'll set up some guidelines. And Jesus said, no, just come to me and drink of me. Come to me and know me. These temple soldiers, these temple guards that went out, they came back and didn't arrest him. And they said, no man's ever spoken the way he speaks. No man ever has or ever will. They were moved by it. You see, there's, there's all sorts of people here. There are those who want to arrest him. There are those who say he, he must be a prophet, maybe even the prophet. There, there are those who say, no, he's got to be the Christ. There are those who say, he can't be the Christ because... You see the division that's taking place among the people only because of one thing, and that is the cause of Christ? Do you see that, that John is showing us here that just a knowledge about religion is not enough? There are a lot of people sitting in our churches today that have a lot of knowledge about religion. They don't, de they don't deny who Jesus is. They don't say, oh, no, I'd, I'd, never, I'd never call him the Messiah. I'd never believe he's the Christ. I'd never think he died for, uh, I would never deny that he died for sins. Of course, I believe all that. All that's true. But it's all in their head. It's all just pure knowledge. There's no real grace in their heart. They've never really put their trust in him completely. It's all about religion. It's all about law. I'm in church because I believe I ought to be there. And I do the best I can. I, I, I live by the Ten Commandments. I try to follow the Beatitudes. I, I, I try to follow the Golden Rule. Any number of, of legal standards, you know, that are set up. And, and, and I, I quote the Ten Commandments to you. And I can tell you, I do all I can not to break those. I live by the law. Well, there are a lot of people in our churches today that are living by the law. 
And it's not just the Ten Commandments or the Beatitudes or, 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 the, or, or the Golden Rule. that they're, they're, They add some other laws to it. I, I know I'm a Christian because I don't do this and I don't do that. I know people that do. You know, we, we put, all sorts of, put all sorts of false standards. Jesus said, you want to know what the standard is? Here's the standard. I'm the standard. Come to me. Come to me and trust in me, and I'll give you a drink. I'll, I'll, I'll quench your thirst. You'll, you'll never thirst again. Come to me. I, I'm the source of life. I'm the source of, of grace. I, I'm the source of everything you need. Just, just come to me. You realize that if you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, I'm a Christian because I believe in Jesus and I do this. You may not be a Christian. Because Jesus plus anything is nothing. Jesus plus nothing is everything. I'm not a mathematician, but that's a pretty good equation. You know, if you take Paul dealt with this in, in Galatians, folks. He dealt with it in depth. He said, listen. The, the Galatians were not saying, I don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. They're saying, we do believe it. But they were saying, but maybe we need to go back and maybe we need to follow the rituals and maybe we need to go through and, and, and try to keep the law and we'll still believe in Jesus, but maybe we need to do this along with it. And so Jesus plus this, and, and Paul says, listen, if it's Jesus plus this, it's nothing. If it's Jesus plus this, you can forget it. It's Jesus. Solo Christo. One of the great cries of the Reformation, by Christ alone. In Christ alone there is life. In Christ alone there is salvation. In Christ alone you can live. Now, now that doesn't mean it doesn't change your life. That doesn't mean that you don't live totally differently once you have come to Christ. But it does mean that you're not basing your salvation on what I'm doing. I'm saved because. That's what these, these Pharisees, these scribes, these chief priests are saying. We believe we're right with God because here's what we have done and here's what we are doing. John is wanting us to see that that kind of, that kind of faith is no faith at all. That's faith in self. Faith, faith in self, not faith in Christ. If it's up to me, I'm in a, I'm in a world of trouble. If, if, if my perseverance, if my continuing in the faith, if my continuing to walk with Christ is up to me, I, I'm, I'm doomed. But Jesus says, come to me, and I will be your strength. Come to me, and I will be your source of life, come to me and I will, I will quench your spiritual thirst, come to me. But I want you to see there's division. I remember Charles Spurgeon saying in one of his sermons, I actually wrote it down, I forgot to bring it in here with me. He made the statement in one of his sermons at the tabernacle, he said, you know, I know a parish, I know a church that's not far from here that has no religious bickering because they have no religion. They have no disagreement because they don't even try to 
think about anything. They, they, have, no, they have no striving or no strife, strifes within the church because they don't feel like there's anything worth striving for. I, I think of what Jude said when he wrote that little book that we studied a couple of years ago. And, and he started, said, I, I, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation in Christ. I want to write to you about what draws us together and binds us together. But I feel that I must write to you and encourage you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints because evidently the faith that was once delivered by the apostles was now being doubted by many. And that divides. Contend for the faith. Contend for the truth. Contend for Christ and Christ alone. And, and, and anything else, legalism and licentiousness, both extremes, both wrong, either one of those will we'll be divided from true gospel, true grace, true understanding of Christianity because they want it to be all about them. It's all about Christ. Well, that, that song by Jordan Kaufman that we sang this morning and scared me because you reversed him. I thought we weren't going to sing it. All I have is Christ. I once was lost in darkest night and thought I knew the way. Sin that was destroying my life, I thought was pleasure. But then he drew me to Christ. He drew me to faith. He saved me. He saved me from my legalism. He saved me from my licentiousness. He saved me in him. Now all I have is Christ. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. But you know what? That's all I need. That's all I want. That's all I desire. That's what makes a difference in life. All I have is Christ. And we rejoice in that truth. But there are those who will say, oh, no, 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 no. You've got to be sure that, you got to be sure that you, you keep this legal law and you keep this and you don't do this and you don't do that. And I, I could I would fill in some blanks there, but I'll let you do it because if I fill in a blank, you'll think that's the only one I'm talking about. And I'm talking about thousands of them. Even, even going to church and dropping money in the offering plate, you know, settle for another week. I came and I gave. Maybe, maybe not. The point is, these people were divided. There was a division in the crowd simply because of Jesus. Now, he is a unifier. He's a unifier of those in the truth. He's a unifier of those who come to him and to him alone and say, Lord, I, I, I give up myself. I, I surrender my life. You are my Lord. You are my king. You're all I have. It does, it does unify around that. And he draws us together around that. There's no division in that. There's no division in, in, in falling down before the Lordship of Jesus Christ. No division at all. But there is division when we try to add to it or take away from it. Because then it, it pollutes the gospel, it pollutes grace, it pollutes the truth that we are called to stand on and called to stand in and called to stand under our absolute authority. I, I love this 
little interjection, this little interlude. Jesus is going to speak again in the, temp, in, the, in the temple there during this feast one more time but as it comes to a close. But, but I love John's picture of what's taking place. Can't you see the crowds? Over here they're saying he's, he's a prophet. Over here they're saying maybe he's the Messiah. Over here they're saying, oh, he can't be the Messiah because he's, yeah, he's not from Bethlehem, you know. He's, he's from Galilee, from Nazareth. And, and all, these, all the time the guards are watching and they're saying, well, who's right? We've heard him. He, he speaks with authority. He speaks with power. He speaks like no one we've ever heard speak before. They're all divided. Are, are you in one of those crowds? Are you in those that are just saying, He is the Messiah, we've heard Him, we've seen Him, and we put our total trust in Him and Him alone? That's really the only, only place there can be unity, isn't there? It's really only the place there can be a oneness. It's the only place there can be peace. No, we don't serve a Jesus meek and mild and gentle and who eschews all conflict. He said, I came. I came. And in my coming, conflict is a natural outcome of my coming. The key is, where do you stand when that division is made? Where do you stand? The Galatians got caught up in that. Some said, I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm a Peter. And and one even said, oh, no, we're just of Jesus. The indication is there, even those who said we're just of Jesus, we're not really just of Jesus. All I have is Christ. All I want is Christ. All I need is Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All I have. I don't have anything. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner that struggles every day. I have Christ. And and He gives me that ability that, whereas before Christ, I had to sin. In Christ, I don't have to sin. I do still sin. Well, that doesn't destroy your opinion of your pastor. I do still sin. I don't have to. It's not my driving force. It's not my driving factor. Christ is. All I have is Christ. What do you have? It's the third thing, final thing. I'm almost forgetting it. I don't want you to see here because you won't see it until later on in John's Gospel. But I want you to see how, how slowly and gradually the work of grace goes in some people's hearts. Thinking of Nicodemus. Nicodemus here is not showing that he's really believing yet. At the the burial of Christ, at the crucifixion of Christ, we'll get that picture. He he came to Jesus, he asked some questions, Jesus talked to him, and there's there's an indication that he at least was bold enough to say, listen, let's let's follow our law if we're going to look at him. But but there's some grace working in Nicodemus' heart, and, and, and we have to be patient sometimes with people, don't we? It's not always just like that. Ought to be louder than that. It's not always just like a snap of a finger. 
Sometimes God's grace works progressively and slowly, a lot slower than we hope that it will. But I want you to see that God's grace will not fail. I want you to watch Nicodemus as we move through this book. Notice, sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's gradual in some hearts. But it's always effective. It always is. We'll see that as we move through this. Let's pray. Holy Father, we never got to hear him. We can only read his words that the apostles have recorded for us in the scriptures. We can only have those come alive to us as that living water, that, that river of living water, the Holy Spirit enlightens our eyes to see his truth. We, but we never heard his voice physically. And yet, Lord, we're just like those soldiers, like those temple guard. No one ever, no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever proclaimed truth like this man. And we stand amazed. Father, I, I pray. I, I pray for men and women and young people that are here this morning that have never never come to see that it's in Christ alone. They're trying to be religious. They're trying to follow the law. They're trying to be good and be better and thinking somehow that's what you want. When they, want, when, when they need to see, Lord, and we all need to see that your desire for us is to bow before Christ as Lord. Just to bow as a doulos, as a slave before our master. Put our trust in you, not in our ability to keep a legal system or a, a moral code, but our, our trust in you and you alone. Father, we need to see that he was a prophet, but he was more than a prophet. He was a teacher, but he was more than a teacher. He was a miracle worker, but Lord, those miracles were just to show who he was and who he is. God incarnate. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Son of God, only begotten of the Father. The one who was there with you at creation, the second person of the Godhead, the Trinity. Sustainer, the Redeemer, the Sacrifice, our Substitute, the One who takes our sin and gives us His righteousness. Just a prophet? No way. 
Just a teacher? Hardly. Just a miracle worker? Never. Holy God in flesh? Absolutely. Only hope that we have positively. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.